Welcome to Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Let's get right to it. All right, Dave, we've got the Build Back Better plan that Joe Biden has introduced. I like to call it Build Back Broke, but that's just me personally. <laughs> so the Tax Policy Center, which is left-leaning, uh, they put out an estimate showing that roughly 20 to 30 percent of middle-income households would pay more in taxes in 2022. So my question to you is, why will Democrats keep pushing this plan forward, even though it's going to hurt middle-class families and low-income families, even while it allows rich families to expand their state and local local tax deductions. Do they actually want to lose Congress? Well, I would say that most people pay attention to the big picture. And that's been one of the Democrats' main problems is they're talking about abstract numbers like two, three trillion when they should be talking about, hey, this is the help the children program. This is the let people get jobs more easily program because the programs themselves are popular. And that's the irony is that President Biden's policies are a lot more popular than President Biden. So I think what the, what the Dems are, are saying and feeling is that, okay, we need to focus on the programs here and we need to give people stuff that's going to really impact their lives and that's going to uh, take their focus away from things like high gas prices and a lot of the stuff that's, that's dragging both the party and the president's approval down right now. Now, having said that, you know, when you look at the program, I think what's not outrageous is the SALT deduction because it's capped at 80000 And I've always said a state like New York sends, for every dollar New York sends to the federal government, it gets $0.62 cents back, where these so-called red states... Uh, I'm going to challenge you on they that, Dave. They get $1.50 back, okay? So Dave, we're going to have, to have, a, have to have a separate segment on that. I'm going to challenge you on that because okay, all right. those, those numbers... Yes. Let, let, let me finish. New York gets gets less back for every dollar that it sends. States like Mississippi and Kentucky get a lot more than a dollar back for every dollar they send. But we can you can look that up, as Casey Stungo would say. But the most egregious thing is that the carried interest loophole. Again, the bill goes after people that are making half a million to two million. It doesn't go after the truly wealthy. And the hedge fund loophole with carried interest where people can get uh, capital gains rats, rates on ordinary income, I think is egregious. But to answer your question, I think people there, the party is looking for ways to give programs to people that they can really sink their teeth into. So Let's my see. question for you is a lot of uh, there's been a lot of Republican opposition to this program. And I certainly understand that. But what in the Build Back Better program would you support and what other programs are Republicans proposing? that are going to help the lives of ordinary Americans, because there's a real chance to seize the high ground here. Well, one of the things that we've put forward at the Independent Women's Forum, where I'm a senior policy analyst, is what we call our paid or our earned leave program. So we like to say earned leave as opposed to paid leave because uh, it's a different mindset because it's really uh, it would allow uh, women who take uh, leave uh, because they've paid into the system. So they've earned the leave as opposed to viewing it as an entitlement. Um, and so it's something that you're able to tap into your your uh, retirement benefits early Um and you know, be able to taper it earlier when you need it, uh, when you have a young child at home and you need to care for it. So, so there are some elements to this idea of having an earned lean program that we certainly support. Um, the big problem. But how though, many is Republicans that, in Washington are proposing that? 
Uh, we've actually been able to work with, with a number of them. And I know that uh, Senator Gillibrand, who's on the other side of the aisle, she's been working with a bunch of Republicans as well. Um, because the way it's currently structured, Senator Joe Manchin, I think rightly is rejecting it. Um, but there, the, the bigger problem, though, is that the Build Back Broke program is way uh, undercounted in terms of what the White House is doing, their official price tag. So they're saying that it's going to be about $1.85 trillion. But that's because of all the gimmicks. Uh, where If you look at the true accounting over an actual 10-year window of if these programs in full were existing in 10 years, as opposed to tapering in or shifting the cost outward down to the states, um, the actual 10-year window would be closer to $4 trillion, according to the University of Pennsylvania. So there are a lot of gimmicks that we just don't like. And, um, and same thing with the uh, the IRS provision. So the Congressional uh, Budget Office just said this very week um, that the you know the Biden administration had planned that there would harvest four hundred billion dollars over ten years from tax cheats who were averting paying their taxes. Turns out the CBO estimates it's only going to be one hundred twenty billion dollars. So it's going to layer onto our debt. Uh, and as I like to say, our debt can is already kicked. We don't have much road left. So that's why we're opposed to build back better. Well, a lot of fiscal chicanery got it reminds me of a certain tax cut in 2017 but um in terms of the irs do you not acknowledge that the irs is underfunded and they don't have the resources to enforce a lot of the laws and a lot of people are getting away with not paying taxes that they should be paying would you acknowledge that i'm not certain that's clear um i mean i think that there can always be efficiencies uh in terms of uh how programs are run better. Uh, there are, I mean, the, the, the massive level of fraud that occurred um, through these stimulus programs that went through, I mean, there are estimates of, you know, tens or even hundreds of billions of dollars of fraud that's happening uh, across government, not only through these one-time stimulus programs, uh, but also through yeah, but Medicare, I Medicaid. That, um, I mean, no, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, I just I don't- because the IRS, uh, because the IRS well, is chronically underfunded, you know? I mean, for every dollar, you give the IRS, maybe it's not $10 like the Biden administration says, but it's $4 of additional revenue you can get back. Well, I I think that the, uh, the IRS is, um, uh, you know, again, the proposals, the what Democrats usually do whenever they want to propose funding is they want to bring a sledgehammer to, to hit a gnat. Uh, or, you know, they, they bring a tool that is totally wrong uh, for something that should be much more precise. And so that's that's my problem in general when I see uh, these types of proposals. And so I think it's no surprise that the CBO would say, no, your 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 assumptions here are wrong. Um, and and the, the reality is that a lot of these, uh, you know, tax dodgers, as they say, are moving moving accounts overseas. Um, the more the Democrats put taxes on, the more we're going to see investment shift overseas even more. So that's that's a big that's problem. That's why a fifteen percent corporate minimum tax. Don't you agree with that? Because that would at least assure. I think people feel the system's rigged, and companies like Amazon, Salesforce, a lot of these companies aren't paying any taxes, and they think it's unfair. So a fifteen percent minimum corporate tax would not only put a lot of these tax havens out of business, which I don't think anyone would cry about, like Bermuda, but it would at least have a fair tax base. I think you should have a 15% minimum corporate tax and a 30% minimum personal tax. And, that, and then it would take so much fraud, so much tax avoidance or evasion or whatever term you want to use out of it. Don't you think that would be fair? No, I'd, I'd rather have, rather than a race to the highest bidder of who can uh, you know have a, a floor of how much 
inflation we want on our prices. We should have uh, a race, a virtuous cycle race of which, which uh, like in, in Ireland, for example, Ireland has seen this boom uh, of tech companies because they have a, a lower corporate tax rate. So uh, I'd rather have that be uh, the state of play. And, and yeah, yeah I, 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 I'm companies not are for- leaving the U.S., carry to avoid taxes to, and they're not even doing business. So in, we should lower our tax Ireland. rate. That's what I'm it's, saying. It's, 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 we should lower our tax rate. If you have a 15% minimum tax right now, the corporate- Tax is twenty one percent. That's six below percent below the current statutory rate. The thirty percent uh, minimum for top taxpayers is seven percent below the current rate. I mean, what's wrong with that? Here's the thing: they're never going to agree to that. They're, they're never going to agree. No, but I'm so, asking so you. Companies, you it's, it's the same. This is the same problem with China and India. They're not going to agree to any of this mumbo jumbo coming out of Scotland. They're not going know, to. They're going to. They're, gonna, they're going Don't to. Don't you think it's fair if they would agree to it? Would you support it? Dave, you sound like a socialist. I love you, but you sound like <laughs> a socialist. <laughs> All right. All right. Move I'm going to move to my question. I, so hit me. Hit me with your next question. <laughs> Okay. All right. So let me ask you this. Point blank. Do you think the Build Back Better program, which I like to call Build Back Broke again, uh, do you think it should pass? Or do you think that the Republicans should hold the line and say, look, our debt to GDP ratio is astronomical. I got I brought a few numbers for you uh, from our debt to GDP ratio. So no, it's, I know. It's nearly, I know we're up to 25% yeah, or something. Yeah, but for our, and for our viewers, so the debt to GDP ratio in 2000 was only 56%. It was 35% in 1980, and it was 52% in 1960. So don't you think there's something wrong here with this picture? And, and for that reason, would you oppose BBB? Well, let me just say a couple of things. First of all, I find it a tad disingenuous that a lot of Republicans are so concerned about the debt when they're out of power. You know, I always say all politicians love government spending. Democrats just admit it. <laughs> and by the way, the Biden administration is the first Democratic administration where spending has been out of control. Because if you look back to 1980, what during what administrations have government spending, the deficit, and government employment risen? Republican administrations, not Democratic ones. So I just want to point that out, being the fair guy that I am. But to answer your question, I will say this. I think the Build Back Better program should have been the program passed instead of the American Rescue Plan because it spends money over 10 years. Then you would have had programs that are actually helping people, some of which I agree. As I've said, I don't think the government should be building charging stations to, to, you know, to help people with electric cars. The market should do that. I mean, imagine if oil barons had said, oh, let's have the government build gas stations so we can sell more gas and oil. That's ridiculous, right? So, but I think a lot of this stuff, helping people with childcare, helping people with pre-K, helping people with home care, I think that stuff is a good investment. And that's the good kind of so-called human infrastructure. So if people had, if they'd passed that program first with the spending over 10 years, then we would be okay. And the only other thing I would say is that all these bills, whether it's these tax cuts, they have to have fiscal, you know, prestidigitation to use one of my dad's favorite words, sleight of hand, because they have to fit under the rules of reconciliation. So they have to expire after 10 years and it's all budgetary gimmickry. So here's, here's my question for you. Um, 13 Republicans voted for the infrastructure bill along with 19 Republican senators, yet not a single senator voted to censure 
Paul Gosar for his comments and again and his his meme. And I'm not going to focus on that deranged individual because that's not the point of my question. But the point of my question is, it seems like the Republican Party is more concerned with excoriating people who voted for an infrastructure bill that the public wants and the Senate overwhelmingly approved in a bipartisan way than they are about censoring a man who's a birther and, you know, who talks about killing his colleagues. So I guess the question is, how can the Republican Party govern and be, a, you know, a, and get anything done when that's the modus operandi? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Wall Street Journal put it well that the the Gozar thing was just an example of sadly what's happened in our Congress. It's really our members are more concerned about social being a social media influencer than actually helping people get a better life and making our country better uh, and standing against China and, uh, you know, all the other risks that we have. So I, I it's just to me, any any member, whether it's someone on the extreme right or the extreme left who's trafficking in the side of side of stuff uh, type of stuff, it's. It's garbage, and we we should call that what it is. The problem is, though, I I don't like to waste my time hanging out in the garbage. So I, I prefer to focus on policy. I prefer to focus on things that that matter. Um, so the uh, the fact that we sadly in America are a state of discourse, um, we can't have uh, policy based conversations. Uh, that's one reason why I like doing practically political because we are we I think we we focus on things that are substantive. We really try to get the signal instead of the noise. There's so much noise out there right now, um, and that's uh, a function of of uh, you know something that Irving Kristol said was that capitalism. He says that he wrote a book called Two Cheers for Capitalism. He said I withhold the third cheer because at the end of the day it's just a machine, and the inputs, the cultural values, and the inputs that you put into that machine determine the future of the country. So if we as a country were elevating media and discourse and social media uh, that is degrading and corrosive to our social fabric from, you know, both fringes, um, that that's our country will, uh, you know, our democracy will implode on itself. So uh, I, I think that the members should be focused on things that matter. Um, and let's just keep doing that here, practically political, Dave. No, I agree. And, and I guess what worries me is that the Democrats are incompetent. They're feckless. I've said this before. They may be bickering amongst themselves. They may be dropping the ball, but they're at least trying to govern. You may not agree with their policies, but there's no effort from that on the Republican side. And this is what I talk about. I don't care about the noise. I care about the democracy. And what worries me is, you know, nobody I know can name a single meaningful piece of legislation that this Republican Congress has put forward. It's been all obstruction. It's been moral bankruptcy. And that's what worries me, because, you know, there's a very if, if this were typically in past, a party like this would be irrelevant for five or 10 years. But the, the odds are that they're going to take over Congress. And, and that's what really worries me in terms of the, of the health of our, of our democracy, not only in terms of governing, but in terms of election integrity and a lot of other stuff. Your final. Thoughts. Well, I think that. Sure. Well, I, I think there are leaders who are showing us what's possible. Uh, we just had our uh, gala with the Independent Women's Forum. We had Senator Tim Scott. He's got an amazing agenda. You know, he, he's put forward a, a criminal justice reform bill. He's put forward uh, the opportunity zones, which help, uh, you know, impoverished areas, both rural and urban. Um, he's put forth uh, all sorts of proposals to help with education and school choice. Uh, and 
uh, you know, business uh, reforming regulations so that small business owners and entrepreneurs, they don't have to be killed by local regulations that were put in place by lobbyists uh, to, to, you know, crush competitors. Um, and, you know, same thing uh, in California, the AB5 and all those you know, just very burdensome rules that try to crush business. People like Tim Scott are pushing back against that. And also here where I live in Virginia, uh, Glenn Youngkin, same thing. He's got an agenda. He wants to repeal the grocery tax. He wants to make you know business environments more friendly. He wants to expand school choice. So I, there's a, again, there are lots of opportunities. I try to focus on the things that, you know, light a candle instead of curse in the darkness. No, I agree. And I think on the state level, stuff, some stuff is being done. But I just on the on the national level, particularly with some of these bills, instead of just obstructing. I wish they'd say, okay, well, here's here's our idea. Here's how we can make it better. Anyway, well, another great, great episode. And I'll tell you, the thing I really enjoy most about this show is civil discourse that I wish I wish the rest of the uh, political community could, uh, could emulate. But anyway, thank you so much for joining us. That is another episode of Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. I'm Carrie Sheffield. We'll catch you next time.